0: today from the New Revised Standard Version. This is Jeremiah 8, 18, 9 to 9, 1. The prophet mourns for his people. Uh, I believe it's Jeremiah who's speaking. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark, the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images? with their foreign idols. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people I am hurt, I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people.
1: Our second reading comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Jesus says, there was a rich man In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, "'Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames.' But Abraham said, "'Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things.' But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. The rich man said, then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment." Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Amen. I'm not wild about heights. It's not my greatest fear, but when climbing ladders or crossing high swinging bridges, I definitely make use of that principle, don't look down. I could imagine trying to preach today's sermon using the same principle. Let's try to get through this without looking down at that terrifying abyss in the parable Jesus tells, that yawning, uncrossable chasm between the place of comfort at Abraham's side and the place of torment in those agonizing flames. The idea of Father Abraham telling this rich man that he's eternally lost and unreachable Forever separated from comfort and peace? That is an awful thought, not a good one to dwell on. Part of the reason I don't think we should dwell on this is because it runs directly counter to what we know about God's love for us and Jesus. Paul says to the Romans, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only person who's in a position to condemn is Christ, and Christ died for us. Christ was raised for us. Christ ascended for us. Christ prays for us. I'm saying this because I don't want us to approach this parable from a place of fear. What I want to identify for us up front is that I don't think this parable is designed to teach us about how God will separate people from one another for all eternity, depending on what they did in this life. Instead, I think this parable is about how to overcome the ways we separate ourselves from one another in this life. The uncrossable chasm between Lazarus and the rich man that Abraham talks about Is that any different than the chasm that already stood between them while they were alive? Could there be a greater chasm in their relationship with one another? Hear these words again. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. Could their worlds be more different? Could their lives be farther apart? At the time of their deaths, the chasm in their relationship was revealed for what it was truly the whole time. And the parable is trying to get us to think about this chasm and what it takes to cross it. Usually, Jesus doesn't name people in parables, It's just a man who goes down that road to Jericho and falls into the hands of robbers. And it's just some Samaritan who has compassion and takes care of him. They don't get names. And to some extent, it can be helpful to keep the characters anonymous. That way, they could be anyone. They might as well be you or me. You put a person's name in there and you start seeing someone else's face instead of your own in the story. And you might be able to think the story doesn't apply to you. The parable of the Good Samaritan could be about anyone. Anyone could be walking down the road and see someone in need and be moved to love. By the same token, anyone could fall into a bad situation and be surprised that the person who has compassion, who takes care of them, loves them in their hour of need, is the person they least expect. In today's parable, however, the point is to be specific to put a name with a face. Now, only one of the characters gets a name, and it's not the character we would expect. The person who gets a name in this parable is the one society usually ignores, a poor beggar usually treated as faceless, nameless, and forgettable, not to Jesus. Jesus knows this person's name. He is Lazarus. And he is seen and he is known by Jesus. Lazarus has a name. He is a person he is cared for and loved. He is a beloved child of God. And at the end of his sufferings, he is resting at Abraham's side. The person who doesn't get a name is the rich man. And this is a total flip of what people would expect in the ancient world. It's the names of the wealthy and the powerful, not the poor, that are remembered through the generations. The rich pass their names on to their children and their children's children. Their names are carried on as long as there is an inheritance to leave behind. They put their names on memorials and plaques. They build monuments to themselves. Their names are not forgotten. They have the power to make sure their names are remembered and seen forever. This is the source of that uncrossable chasm between Lazarus and the rich man a basic breach in their relationship. The rich man does not see. The rich man has been blinded by his sumptuous feasting and fine linen, and he does not see Lazarus. The rich man doesn't see Lazarus in this lifetime. Every day, coming and going through his gate, the rich man walks right by Lazarus, and every day the rich man does nothing to care for him. Maybe he sees something out of the corner of his eye, but he does not see a person, a person who's hurting. If the rich man saw Lazarus, really saw him, wouldn't he have had compassion like that good Samaritan? Wouldn't he have stopped what he was doing even one of those days in order to welcome him inside, to feed him, to care for his sores? Even in the afterlife, the rich man doesn't really see Lazarus either. Father Abraham, the rich man, says, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I beg you, he says, send Lazarus to my father's house for I have five brothers that he may warn them. Send Lazarus. The rich man is still trying to tell Lazarus what to do. What the rich man sees when he looks at Lazarus is not a person, but a thing that exists to serve him and his purposes. He doesn't see Lazarus as a person, and so he does not see the pain of Lazarus as his business. How can he be so indifferent to suffering? What's happened to the rich man that he's so twisted that he cannot see? We might remember from last week that we're moving through some difficult teaching from Jesus about wealth, And Jesus thinks that wealth can be a problem for us, for our hearts, our relationships, and our faith. We can only have one master, not two, we heard from Jesus last week. We can't serve both God and money. But the problem that has twisted the rich man in today's parable isn't that he's committed the sin of having money. It's that he's committed the sin of love of money. And that is what's led him to the sin of indifference toward Lazarus. But why? Why can't he see how destructive this is? It comes back to the source of that chasm between Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man does not see Lazarus. He can't be compassionate because he does not see. What's it take to really see Lazarus? a person, as a person, to really see them as they are, as God's beloved child deserving of care and compassion. Shouldn't this rich man and his five brothers, for that matter, have learned to do this from their scriptures? Moses and the prophets, after all, are the ones who tell us that human beings are made in God's image, filled with dignity, deserving of honor and respect, worthy of kindness, love and justice the law says clearly and repeatedly that the orphan and the widow the immigrant the homeless should be cared for that there should not be a needy person in the land but that God's people should open their hands wide to all who are in need that's just Deuteronomy shouldn't the scriptures have been enough To help the rich man see Lazarus, even just one of those days that he passed him by. Here's the really hard thing about this parable. It's not just about knowing what's right and doing the right thing. That's why Abraham says to the rich man, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This isn't about being convinced of what's right or being able to convince others of what's right. Because if people don't want to see, it doesn't matter how good your argument is. You can make your case from scripture and someone can rise from the grave, but if people don't want to see, it doesn't matter what you show them. That's the uncrossable chasm. In the end, this parable is an invitation to open our eyes and ask the Spirit to teach us to see the way that Jesus sees. The parable of Lazarus and the rich man sets the world in stark terms, such a stark contrast, because it's trying to shock and correct our vision. I don't think... We try to keep our eyes closed because we enjoy keeping people in pain. The rich man in the parable surely doesn't enjoy seeing the suffering of Lazarus. It's just easier for him not to see it. He'd rather not look down. Don't look down. It's coming from a place of fear. If we open our eyes to seeing each and every single person the way that Jesus does, what would happen to us? If we saw each and every single person as a bearer of God's eternal image, our brother or sister, a person we're to love as we love ourselves and who has been called just as much as we have been called to a life filled to the brim and overflowing with grace, if we open our eyes to seeing each and every person like that, What happens when we come across a Lazarus? A poor man covered with sores, lying outside a rich man's gate, longing to satisfy his hunger with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, and with no one to comfort him in this life but the dogs who come to lick his sores. If this Lazarus, this person with a name, if he is the image of God, Worthy of love and respect and honor and life. And this is what his life looks like. What happens to us when we see him and all those like him? It's overwhelming. Our hearts break. If we open our eyes and hearts to seeing this way, we will end up like the prophet Jeremiah. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. We open ourselves to seeing people as they are, as loved and worthy, and we open ourselves to pain and to grief. Isn't that the truth of ministry? That's what's hard about loving each other as God loves us and seeing each other as God sees us. It opens our hearts to brokenness. Friends, it takes such power to be vulnerable like that. A broken heart is a sign not of weakness, but of strength. It takes such strength to look a person in the face, to see them, to name them, to feel for them, to grieve with them, and to care for them. So here are my prayers for us today, that our eyes and hearts would be opened, that God would give us the strength to open our eyes and see each other as God sees us as beloved children, worthy of honor and love. And in the light of that vision, to begin crossing the uncrossable chasm. To see, to see. If you are hurting today, if you are hurting for the hurt of your people today, I pray that you would receive the grace to carry on, to be a balm in Gilead. A place of healing for all who are hurting. To receive from Christ his healing. For the sin-sick soul. Let all our hearts and eyes be opened in the light of the blessing that God's heart has been broken open for us all in Christ. And if God is powerful enough to be broken-hearted for us, God is strong enough to make our hearts whole. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.